Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 142 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. On today's episode, I'm joined by Susanna Klein, who is a professional violinist and practice researcher. She's also the author of a new practice workbook called Practisma. We discuss the reality dream gap, goal-oriented practicing, how to practice with limited time, some ideas on how to get through the current pandemic situation, choosing an accountability partner, and as usual, much, much more. For access to the ad-free extended version of today's episode and many others, and to join our Patreon community with 69 fellow Clarinet fans, you can check this out at the members section at clarinet.com. And if you'd like to learn how you can purchase a practice workbook from Susanna, you can check out her website at practisma.com, which is P-R-A-C-T-I-Z, or Z, I guess in the States, ma.com. Just a quick note before we start, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that the quality has been steadily improving over the past few years, which is something I'm quite pleased with and proud of. I've worked hard to make this show a better place, if that makes any sense. Um, But one thing I tried recently was to do some live episodes on YouTube. Now, an unfortunate side effect of this is that the tracks didn't record to separate channels, so this means that editing was much, much harder. Um, Brian's been doing an amazing job for us, but this was just not something that really is salvageable. So we're talking over each other a fair bit, which is just a part of what naturally happens, but can usually be edited out. And uh, the audio quality is just not quite as good. So this is the first of about six or seven episodes that were live on YouTube, but I can assure you that no more will be like this. Although it was fun to do, it just uh, it's not producing the quality that I would have hoped for so please bear with me over the next few episodes and uh, just take these for what they're worth you can also check them out on youtube if you want to watch the video versions unedited of these very same episodes I'd also like to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Imagine a reed that offers complex performance and sound, but is washable, recyclable, consistent, doesn't require moistening, and lasts for months instead of days. It's all possible with Legere Reeds, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. Legere Reeds are used exclusively by some of the world's greatest clarinetists, including Eddie Daniels, Carada Giuffredi, David Schifrin, and many others. And now it's your turn. Experience Legere Reads at your local music store or by heading to Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. Also, don't forget they have their new European signature bass clarinet read coming out very shortly here. So if you are a bass clarinetist and you're in the market for a new read, be sure to check that out. We also have Encoda. It's a new app that lets you stream, practice, and perform tens of thousands of sheet music scores. It's kind of like Netflix or Spotify, but for sheet music. You can get a free trial today. Just search for Encoda on your device's app store. That's Encoda, N-K-O-D-A. And of course, also Bakun. You can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new Canadian store that lets you pay in Canadian dollars. And for all Clarinet listeners, there's a special coupon just for you. You can save 10% off your next purchase, and yes, that includes anything from mouthpieces all the way to custom clarinets, simply by using code Clarinet at checkout at bakunmusical.com. That's code Clarinet. Clarinet at bakunmusical.com. Susanna, I'll let you introduce yourself and uh, tell me a little bit about this book, but I just want to say that this has found me at the perfect time because I think that, you know, we're all in isolation right now and I'm just about done my office. And just yesterday, I, as I was cleaning, I thought, what am I going to do when this is all done? Like I, I've now reached a point where I'm going to have to get better at my instruments um, because my space is so clean. There's no more excuses. No, like I got to right, organize right. my junk drawer. So let's just start right. off. You're, you're not a clarinet player. So we got to get to know who you are I'm on not, the podcast here. I'm not a clarinet <laughs> we'll player, but I'm, ma- but I'm married to one. So that's a close oh, second. I'm sorry to hear that. No, <laughs> which, <laughs> is, which is how I knew about your podcast. That's right. Um, that's right. No, I'm a violinist. 
Um, I live in Richmond, Virginia. I teach at a university called Virginia Commonwealth University. I've done various things, played um, symphony stuff full time, taught full time, done like most people, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, you know, kind of cobbling it all together. And sort of my new, I don't know, accidental passion, I guess, um, <laughs> is, you know, working on practice and practice psychology and kind of the practice space, which um, I think was always important to me personally, but I didn't really get that it resonated with other people until I started doing some projects and then um, people sort of accidentally asked me for, oh, you know, you're doing this with your class or you're doing this with your studio. Can I borrow some of that? Can I can you send me some of those Google Docs or can you send me some of that stuff? And then I started thinking like, wait, is this the kind of thing that could be important to other people? And so I've sort of uh, you know, accidentally found myself here. And the fact that the journal came out right before Christmas, Thanksgiving last year. And I mean, this is sort of accidental, right? That now we are in this time of just gluttony of time for most people, for most musicians, but no deadlines, no structure, no um, sense of time really within our own work. And I think, you know, that's just serendipity that the journal kind of addresses some of those things by giving little piecemeal this week, do this, you know, next week, do that. Um, but I didn't write it for coronavirus time. That was just completely accidental. The book is kind of the result of, I don't know, eight or nine years of journaling with my students mm. in the studio. Um, when it came time to really get serious and choose what I thought were some of my best prompts that could also apply to all instruments that was sort of important. Um, yeah. It's 16 weeks, which I know is kind of long. Um, and having actually tried to do 16 weeks in a row myself, um, I'm ashamed to admit I, f I fall off the bandwagon. I have to take a week off every once in a while because I just can't deal with like the steadiness of it. But the idea was that's a, that's a long stretch of time, slightly longer than a semester, is to really build some new habits in practice. Mm. And we know from like habit research that this, you know, building new habits takes takes a while. And like 16 weeks is about kind of, you know, where that stands, give or take. Um, so the, the book has kind of four main components always. One is for every week. It has a reflection prompt. That's a question writing something down um, about music. It's, they're pretty open ended different different ones. I try to have different styles. One is an action prompt go do something to learn, go play for somebody else, um, learn a different way, score study, do mental practice, goal setting. So every week there's some goal setting. What are kind of your big goals for the week? Um, I ask people to choose a process goal and um, what I call a big dive goal, like a, something you want to change in your playing, you want to make a big dent into, and something that you want to change about your process. Because if we change our process, right, we get different outcomes mm. as opposed to just practicing more. Um, and um, and then, of course, there's space to kind of write however much you want about, you know, keeping track of practice. And some people write a lot and are very detailed. Oh, I worked on these measures and for this long, I used the metronome or whatever. And some people just they're once over lightly. But I have these little acronyms to just keep track of certain things. Um, inspired kind of by bullet journaling, but like M is for when I use the metronome, T is for when I use the tuner, P is for pain, if you had any pain, because I think that's really important to keep track of. Um, what are my other ones? Um, 
And that's AR, just physical pain, not you, mental pain of the practice. <laughs> we always feel mental pain that you don't even have to keep track of that. Yeah. Um, AR, if you recorded yourself audio. VR, if you recorded yourself video. Um, yeah, and that's it. So that you're keeping track of, you know, good habits that you're having rather than this is how I sounded. So that's how I kind of meant for it um, to be laid out. But everybody uses it in a different way. And then next week, it just kind of repeats. A different prompt, but, you know, trying to play on a different strength or a different balancing of emotion, usually, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but the, the format is kind of the same. So there are four pages for each week. Well, for those watching, I know you can't hear this later on the podcast, but I just want to show you kind of what these pages look like. Um, and it's really interesting because a few years ago, actually, when I was teaching a lot, I had a similar concept. I had this sort of book that I would give students. I would make them use it. That's why I found when you sent me this, I was actually super interested in it because I, I had a fledgling idea like this, but nowhere near taken as far and nowhere close to this sort of level of annotation and, and concept. Well, you're seeing... But you're seeing it after like nine years, right? So my yeah. students all had like the ugly version of that, like the PDF spiral bound. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah, it developed yeah. over the years. And in the beginning, I just did reflection prompts and then I started doing action prompts and then I did every other. So um, that's why you'll see in the beginning of the book, it's kind of dedicated to my students because yeah. I, they, they really helped me understand what is meaningful and what is not just meaningful, actually, but actually stupid. You know, I, I had some prompts pretty early on that were like, record an hour of your practice. You know I mean, sit down, yeah. transcribe it, you know, write down what you learned. I mean, that's crushing. Like, that's, that's not joyous at all. That might be very highly efficient, but, um, but that's really not a great way to go. So they over the years kind of i learned through them oh wow this this had a big influence on a student or this was just a tiny little thing like just to give somebody a prompt like record yourself but only pay attention to dynamics mm -hmm. and nothing can be more than 12 bars or something or 16 i guess i should make it even you know that if you if you guide it in the right way people will enjoy the work much more they'll get a lot more out of it and they'll be um they'll still be getting a lot done, but they won't be crushed under the weight of it. Well, I think something like this, a structure is important. And I, I wanted to ask you if you feel that any people um, should be or are using this as kind of a, a teaching tool in their studios for all of their students to have, because what I used to do, I'm not teaching that much anymore, to be honest. Um, and when I am, it's usually a little bit older kids, but I was using uh, my little books and I would have everyone write down a goal for each semester. Like by the end of the semester, you had to perform, you know, X piece, mm -hmm. or maybe you had to record a duet with me or with yourself and learn how to use the software or something like that. And I found that not only was this more um, encouraging for me as the teacher to know kind of what each student's goal was, but it also helped keep the student on track because if you just come to lesson every week, you get your lesson, you go home and you go back to World of Warcraft and soccer and every other 10,000 activities kids have these days, um, it's hard to stay focused on your music. So have you found that this is something that people should be using or are using? Yes, or, mm -hmm. yeah. there, there are teachers. Yeah, there are teachers who've just adopted it for the whole studio and they're like, okay, the whole studio is doing it. Some of them are sharing that work, like in masterclass, you know what I mean, where there's mm -hmm. a kind of sharing, sort, and some are not. It's just a private um, kind of thing, and it gives the students some structure. Um, so that's definitely happened. Um, I think some teachers are also using some of the prompts individually, 
for now that we've um, transitioned to online and it looks like in the fall, right, most music schools, I think, are going to be online again or have a heavy online component. I think some people I've heard also um, from some colleagues and friends, oh, can I use, do you mind, can I use this one prompt for like a masterclass activity or like a masterclass challenge, right? There's there's some, um, I'm trying to think if I, if I have like an action... Um, well, you did say that, like, this is sort of a social element to this. So do you have um, some kind of online Facebook community or something where people can interact and feel um, part? Oh, see, all the things I didn't think of. So <laughs> I have an Instagram account. Okay. Um, I have I have a Facebook you know page, but it's I don't have it populated very well. Um, I did put in the book. No one's done it, but um, people do post about the book, but they don't use. I meant originally. I was like, oh, if you want to share, you can use my practisma as a hashtag. Like a hashtag, yeah. Yeah, but I haven't seen any, so I don't know what that means. But people do um, will tag me, or will just tag at practisma. Um, do you know what I mean? And they're, they're, some of them are quite public about their work, other ones more private or whatever. But um, anyway, but I was going to read you like one. So this might be a thing that like a teacher, you know, I haven't heard of this particular one being adopted, but this could work for like a masterclass setting for a challenge, right? Um, it's called Foformance. Um, so this is an action prompt, week nine, if anyone's interested. Um, arrange a mini performance for playing for an audience. Um, in other words, a minimum of two people, but the more the merrier, in a large room or hall, uh, obviously now Zoom. <laughs> yeah. your, goal, <laughs> your goal is no stopping, no self-deprecating, no apologizing. Put your performing hat on all the way. Concentrate on what you can control from your previous week's list. So I had a, it's following up on another prompt, but um, practice your acting. In other words, looking like a performer, your breathing, your physical language, everything you need for the stage. Get into the hall if you can, because this will help you. This will help make it feel real. Afterwards, tell your audience what you were trying to do. Ask them, did this feel like a real performance to you? Reflect on the experience in the space below. So I think teachers are kind of borrowing one thing or another that appeals to them that's appropriate for their level and saying, okay, class, for next week, this is our challenge. See you Friday. Report back how it went. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's like you can read my mind because that faux formance was one I was actually going to um, explicitly talk to you about a little bit because I, I love that <laughs> concept. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because I have this, this is a little bit maybe stupider, but I have this concept that I tell young kids, I call it the, the practice gnome. And you want to just pretend that across the room in the corner, there's this little gnome that has to write down everything that you do. And then afterwards, it shows it to you to ask if it was right. And so, I mean, if you're playing everything that's, that's a forte... That's brilliant. It's not gonna, it's, he's going to go, well, I don't know. He doesn't have the score, right? He just has to write down what he hears. <laughs> and he's always perfect. A teacher in graduate school used to say to me, you have to put your ears out in the back of the hall. And yeah. You have to pretend that you're hearing yourself from far away rather than like right here. So there, there are performing actions in there. You know, there's some challenges like that. But there are a lot of other ones like mental practice or, you know, score analysis or practicing a different way or record yourself every day, two times, you know, before and after. I tried to get a mix of things again, kind of going with the theme that, that practicing, okay, now this is my own sort of personal view of the world, I guess, or of practicing, is that I feel like practicing is sort of the quintessential um, activity of balancing or regulating our emotions. Like mm. this is, this is what I really feel like the value is of it. Um, 
and you know in in society we have terms for it you know we call them virtues right so patience is like having the strength to wait <laughs> well we need that for practicing for sure right or um you know being steadfast being open-minded um taming your ego uh being self-critical right which we need um or being brazen or courage which we also need like we have all these things when we practice we have to do all of them not at the same time but you know kind of in succession and so like my action prompts the variety of what i chose i just tried to get um different ones that would call on a certain thing like i didn't say today you're developing curiosity but you probably saw there's some that are written in such a way so as to promote curiosity right to kind of build that strength out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then there are others that have to do with courage. There are others that have to do with, you know, being optimistic or being steadfast kind of thing. Um, because I feel like underneath, well, I think what is difficult about practice besides being such a long arc for where we don't see, it's actually perfect, this picture right now. So my arm is like <laughs> going out of the picture. Like that's what's yeah. really difficult about practice, right? Is that the goal you cannot see, you can't see the arrival. And it's always, the arrival is always moving. But besides that, it's just that you have to, you're dealing with yourself and your emotions and all the time. And great practice necessitates you being slightly uncomfortable. Mm, I like that. And you know, I love at the beginning of the book too, when you talk about, um, I think the term you use is the, uh, the reality dream gap. And I found this so interesting because I also uh, believe that one of the hardest parts about being a musician is finding joy in the journey and realizing that there is no destination. And, and that's something that goes for someone all the way from Glenn Gould uh, to a very beginning student. And you don't realize it yeah. because when you're on the journey and you're you know, moving around, the horizon's always the same distance, no matter how far you've traveled, right? Um, and I think that philosophy comes from a book called The Practicing Mind, which you may have also I have read. not read it, but now I'm going to yeah very good book. You, it, it, i listened to a podcast episode of yours where you had some book recommendations and i've already digested two of them so oh really i don't remember uh, doing yeah. that maybe it was a, yeah huh I, i've been meaning to do something like that for a while but maybe i should check i might have already done it <laughs> yeah i can't remember who you were talking to but it was yeah. um you were talking more about sort of podcasting and being an entrepreneur being in business for yourself like that mm. part of it or whatever so um Anyway, so but can you tell me a bit about this whole reality dream gap? Because I mean, this is something that I well, experienced endless, yeah. this frustration to practice. And you say in here too, it's something that really resonated with me because I feel this so much lately. Like, honestly, people who've been following the podcast for a while, they know my life has changed since I started this show. Like I used to be a relatively recent music grad, um, just starting on my career, looking for kind of an interesting opportunity. And then I had a bad hand injury and like I moved several times and now we have a kid. Like I don't have the same kind of time <laughs> that I used mm -hmm. to have, for example, you know, and so coming to practice feels like something that I have to do for myself, but yet there's often such a, a um, what's the word, like a discouragement or almost resentment towards needing to sit down and, and work on these things. Because, so you, how, be, because you can't be your ideal musician self? Like, is prob that Probably. The... I, I think that, you know, I sit down with the guitar, for example, because that's what I'm going to be using this book for. Um, but, you know, I sit down and I have these ideas in my head and I can't get them into my guitar. And so right. then you have to go back and slog through three months of arpeggios and <laughs> before you can realize your idea. And that's, that's hard. I mean, yes. So like practice inherently is, you know, I'd like to do this, but I can't do it quite yet. Right. So that, that mm -hmm. setup already is, it, <laughs> it bakes in some frustration, but, um, 
but I think the goalpost is always moving, right? Because as soon as you achieve that, of course, you want something else. And as soon as you achieve exactly. that, you want something else. And the people that we surround ourselves are part of part of this too, right? So you, you might have a goal of like, oh, I want to be first chair. I want to get into this group. And then you're in it. And we find immediately a way to say, well, you know, I got in because it's actually not so good. You know, I need to be in this other group. And, and I think some of that, like, it's, I mean, I'm still... You know, I'm still treating myself, I like to say, psychologically. But when I, you know, when I graduated and then I got a temporary job, then I went back to school, then I got another job, then I got another job. You know, I kept thinking that my, that that sort of my anxiety or my angst about practicing and about the process was just, at first I thought it was that I couldn't stomach the idea of unemployment. Mm. Then I thought it was that I couldn't stomach the idea of, you know, not being in a better orchestra or whatever, like these sort of goals that we set ourselves. But each little thing, each milestone, for lack of a better word, that I achieved, I felt no different. Mm -hmm. I felt no, I didn't feel, you know, um, like when I moved from the Richmond Symphony to the Colorado Symphony, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, it's an Ixam orchestra. It's a bigger orchestra. It's, you know, I will have arrived you know and there i was in my same sort of miserable somewhat miserable relationship with my instrument I'll, uh, let's call it just love hate with my instrument and that process and practicing because you're always aiming up it's part of you know what you're doing it is the journey itself that it's not the quest for the holy grail the journey is the holy grail and i think only by teaching and kind of seeing it in others and teaching so much was I able to kind of say, oh, this is not a, this is not my problem. There's nothing wrong with me. This is actually completely normal. And every musician goes through this. I think before I was sort of pathologizing it, like, what's my problem? Why can I not be happier? And why am I often dreading this? You know, and that's now actually I think something more, I was going to ask you is sorry to interrupt, but like, was this hard to, I don't mean this like in a super personal way, but like, was this hard to admit at first before you realized that other people were experiencing the same thing? Because I imagine that most people listening oh, yes. feel this way, but they're very cautious to like tell their teacher, look, I feel um, I'm never satisfied with, yes. you, know, <laughs> you know? Yes. And I think that's all over the, I think that's all over the music industry. You know, don't admit when you're in pain. Don't admit when you hate it you know, all these things, because you're not a true musician, you know. Um, I, I mean, I felt even weird about, I felt for a long time even weird about repeating any kind of repertoire, right? So mm -hmm. the idea of doing a recital, which is kind of a big, big goal or big thing, I think when you're teaching full-time especially, it's like I felt that pressure to do all new music to me, you know, as if the only way that I was a good musician is if I did a completely new program. That, that's yeah, where does this come from? And, like, why, why does this happen, though? I mean, because if you see touring artists, great artists touring around on on things, they're usually playing a, a defined set list or some combination of the set list um, wherever they go. And this is everything from rock bands yeah. to to touring chamber ensembles. They go on a tour. And they to will promote. tell you that that's where yeah. the growth is. And that's do you know what I mean? That that's obviously that's essential. But I just mean like sort of even creating these kind of little litmus tests for us. For ourselves oh this is what it means to be a true musician mm -hmm. you know if you're not yeah. happy and i think that's why we don't admit how hard the work is but if you're doing it well the work is hard right because the best practice is like a discovery 
jaunt. It's not a, I'm clocking in, you know, at the gym. Yeah, like and this is right? something and else. So I if to... you're really discovering things, that can be quite difficult. If you're recording yourself, I mean, there's nothing harder, I think, still to me than recording myself and listening back. Oh, yeah, listening it's back. It's a little easier if you have good equipment, but still, it's hard. Well, and this is another concept I find really kind of interesting in your book and, and for practicing in general is that you talk about, um, I wish I could remember the ex exact words you use, but, but sort of goal and achievement oriented practice instead of time oriented practice. Like you don't just clock in at two o'clock until four o'clock and practice for two hours. You want to get something mm -hmm. done. And if you get done earlier, then you've kind of achieved it. Um, can you talk a bit about that and, and maybe why one way or the other might be better sometimes? Yeah. I, well, I mean, just in general, and I know teachers say this, but, you know, discovering something new with your ears mm -hmm. or with your hands, you know, that's, that's progress. That's the most efficient way to learn. Clocking in and repeating is just not efficient. And it just actually drains down the body, right? We'd like mo a lot of people get injured through that. Um, I don't think I was really good at that in school. I just practiced until my body, until either my lips became numb, which is... I'm embarrassed to admit now, like I would just do that, or until I couldn't do it anymore. I'm not sure. I think sometimes I was practicing well and sometimes I wasn't. Once I had kids and like a full-time teaching job and other things, I did become more and more efficient um, and more and more goal-oriented. And then really by doing this work with my students, I started applying this to myself, right? Like, okay, this week, uh, spend 15 minutes of every day mentally practicing you know you can do more than 15 but you have to do those minimum 15 mm -hmm. and it's like doing it for a whole week with the regularity wow you get into some stuff you get more comfortable in the space you start to appreciate it more you start to have to break it up for a variety okay i looked at the score now i'm bored i want to do something else okay let me sit at the piano let me i don't know mark in dynamics it's it's only by staying in that in that space a little bit that you actually grow. So it's, that's where I really feel like this whole process, you know, with students has kind of helped me. I, I feel like I'm a better practicer now, for sure, than I was before. And it's a good thing because I have less time, right? Yeah, but I, you know. But what, but what I think, sorry, but what, I, okay. what, I, what I think really surprised me is that it made the process more fun. I think that's the part that I didn't know before. Yeah, and I think that too, when you find yourself with limited time, which is, you know, not like right now for most people, it's kind of the opposite. Um, but uh, it reminds me of when I was just graduated, I was subbing a lot with the local orchestra and, but I was now living instead of with my, all my various friends in a, you know, like basically a house of like a bunch of guys um, with any opportunity to go down to the university and practice. I didn't have that option anymore because I didn't have a key right. card, right? So yes, I was now living in a... That yeah, you lose the circle of social too. Exactly. 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 So I found myself with big scores of music that I'd only dreamed of playing. And now I was subbing with a professional orchestra and I found myself in my little apartment and I'm also a night owl. So it'd be like 11 o'clock at night and I can't just bust out my clarinet and start practicing. So I was like, how am I going to learn these pieces? And the strange thing was I found that, that by having less time and focusing it on intent listening and marking fingerings and getting it kind of into my hands without actually blowing air into the clarinet, the next day, if I, if I did have a chance during the day, which you know, obviously I still did, but, but um, I would play to be so much better. And I'm like, what? I could have practiced for four hours last night and not gotten this good. And I, I didn't even play a note last night. How could this be happening? You know, yeah. but that mental focus and uh, the different kind of frame of reference, I think 
really, really helped. Um, Absolutely. So and, and varying what you're doing, right? So that every day doesn't look the same. Because I think. Well, and it was more engaging. Yeah. Yes. Engaging the brain, not just practicing with the fingers or, yeah, in yeah. your case, the lungs. Yeah. And also, yeah. I think the, the monotony. A... Go ahead. Sorry, Skype is screwing up here. Yeah. We're talking over each other a bit. But no, I think too, like it. it if I had practiced, it would have went something like this probably back then. I would have felt an urge to warm up. There goes 20 minutes. Okay, I should do some etudes or something. There goes 20 minutes. All right, now I'm going to do the stuff I have to practice for, you know, this ensemble. And then you're tired and you're kind of bored or whatever. Whereas the other way, I just kind of dove into the music. I skipped all that other stuff. Right. And I was able to kind of just get in there. So I think, yeah, varying it up is really important. Um, but I think that that something like this is really going to help anybody to close this sort of reality dream gap thing. And I, uh, I really do look forward to, to heading through this and, and I don't know, instead of taking it with a grain of salt, I'm going to take it with, what do you say? What's the opposite of that? <laughs> don't take it too seriously. Don't take it too seriously. It's meant to just, um, it's meant to provide some structure and some variety. Cause I think <clears throat> of all the things that are hard about practice, um, practice being boring is at the top of the list. Yeah. I think the monotony of practice, which isn't usually our best practice, but just the fact that we have, most of us feel like we have to do some every day and blah, blah, blah. Um, boredom is the ultimate way of uh, killing the joy, for sure. Well, and how do you, let, let's talk a little bit about this current situation. I know we're diverting from sort of uh, yeah. the book here for a minute, but how do you think this book specifically could help people through this current situation? Because um we mentioned that the timing of it was kind of, I don't want to say lucky, but it's worked out well because I think Weird. people are looking for mm -hmm. something like this. Um, but like, I know that myself, I, I originally started doing some online um, lesson type things at the beginning of this, thinking it would only last a week or two. And to my surprise, we're in, into the day hundreds now. And I just had to stop. I was, I was tired and I, I was personally feeling quite down and, and all these people are talking about all this stuff they can achieve during this time. And for me, I was, I was, it was the opposite. I was feeling really miserable, feeling like we'd lost part of life that was normal. And, and uh, I bet more and more people are kind of, I don't want to say depressed, but like they're not in a yeah. good mood. There's nothing to practice for. Like we don't even know when a concert can, can resume again. So yeah, you have um, to practice. You have to essentially practice for the sake of practicing. Which exactly. Which I, I really love. I really love that part of it. But I also don't make myself do a whole lot. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. Um, <laughs> you know, so so how really during this time to... can we use your book to focus on getting better, even though so, so much think, is changing? Like, so I think when you have... So let's back up a little bit. So what happened when things went dark, right, and they're still dark, is that most of the things that um, govern human behavior most of those incentives were gone in one fell swoop. I mean, this is a unique thing. There's actually, I'm, yeah. I've written an article about kind of habits of practicing for strings magazine, which is coming out in August. And it's sort of all about this. It's like, um, you know, social structure gone, deadlines gone, um, sense of timing. So pacing, not just the actual deadline, but okay, on Thursday's rehearsal, we're going to work on this. In next Tuesday's rehearsal, we're going to work on this. Gone. No pacing. No benchmarks for how much you should do, right? Um, like a lot of things have just completely disappeared. So I think that's very disorienting to people in space. It's much easier to get something done if you have, let's say, two appointments a day or two lessons or whatever, 
um, teaching hours than it is to have just absolutely nothing. I think that's really, really hard. Um, But the biggest thing, I think, for musicians, whether we admit openly or not that we sometimes hate to practice and that we, you know, have a complicated relationship with our instrument, is we've lost our sort of compatriot, like our army colleagues that surrounds us right so usually let's pretend you and i are both in the same section we might arrive unpack and then i might be like oh my god can you believe the third movement like i'm still not up to tempo (laughs) you know and we would make little (laughs) self-deprecating jokes about our limits and if you were a cool person then you'll you know you'll commiserate a little bit oh yeah me too i'm still working on it and i mean all of that's gone too right so we just exist lonely in this in this space with our limitations. So, um, you know, habit building, there are, there's some great books that I can recommend for that, for sure. But um, let me just- Yeah, what are they? The laundry laundry list of like things to do. Um, If you can make your goals specific by time and place. So I'm gonna practice, I'm gonna start practicing by practicing a little bit right after lunch. Hmm. or whether it's one o'clock or you're saying just after lunch or before dinner, but you're attaching it to something that already happens in this room or in these two rooms or whatever. And start small. Um, If you're really out there floating with no habits or no regularity, aim for what you can do at a minimum, but that is regular. So half hour every day or Mm -hmm. hour every day. Not like I'm going to practice five hours a day and I'm going to learn all these pieces, et cetera, et cetera. Keep your expectations somewhere between overwhelming and super boring. Because we know that people who are in that zone, it's called like the Goldilocks rule, do a lot better. Mm. Um, So, you know, like for me, it would be, I would want, of course, I want to work on the Chacon and the Tchaikovsky Concerto this summer. Not a good idea. Without my structure and like lessons and somewhere to go, you know probably not going to happen but you know aiming below below that um being accountable to one other person and probably one is a good number actually Mm. not more than one works wonders like i've had students can you expand on that what do you mean by accountable like you're meeting with someone online or or like Mm -hmm. you can meet right so um in the spring when we were really flailing and it was very sudden Um, My students got very disoriented and depressed and anxious, as you can imagine. And so um, they made practice dates with another student online in Zoom. They would just meet in Zoom, um, audio off, muted, and and practice. (laughs) Like a practice date, which is actually possible because you can mute yourself. I think sometimes they would kill video, sometimes they would open it, and usually then they would talk or maybe one after a while there would be trust and one would play for another. But just that single being accountable to one other person and time specific is miraculous. That's a really big deal. It shouldn't be accountable to, um, not like accountable to social media. I'm going to post every day. I mean, unless that's your thing and you're already in the space and you're used to it, but people on social media are not going to come find you when you don't post. Yeah. Right. So if you're like, Oh, I'm doing a hundred day challenge. That's great. That's hundred days is a long time, by the way, <laughs> but yeah. um, that's great. But if you reach day 14 and you don't post, it's very unlikely that somebody's going to text you and be like, hey, I'm missing your, you know, day 13. Where is it? But if you pick a person that you like, trust, 
etc and you're like hey i really need some accountability help that will motivate you in a different way so i had a, at the beginning of the summer when i was the most um disoriented in space let me just say it that way um i got together with a friend of mine she wanted to do live recordings one movement of bach and put it out on the internet every week and she wanted to run some files by hey can i run my recordings by you whatever just for some feedback you know every week i was like sure and then she said actually it would help me if you could do this with me and i was like uh with <laughs> you like i put out a movement of bach like out on youtube every week no way i said but i'll learn them with you or relearn them as the case may be and we mm -hmm. can check in and so i was helping her do this project but basically towards the end of the week i would send her my recording she would send me hers and instantly i was practicing very focused very organized it wasn't too much but the reason was i was you know supposedly helping her sort of have this accountability team and it was great it was great we did it for weeks on end where i just felt like oh i have to get my i have to get my i can't stop practicing completely because i have to you know we we got to be able to talk about our stuff well what are you doing in bar three what are you doing in bar five so you can if you're trying to learn an excerpt or a piece you know find somebody else who wants to learn something similar um, I have a friend who's playing on her porch every day at noon. Oh, I like that. And her neighbors, her neighbors are out there every day. I've gone to oh, play duos with, sometimes she plays, she plays for 10 minutes every day at noon. That's a fun idea. Yeah. Some, some sense of normalcy is so important during these times. And, you know, I guess I didn't realize, but I, in a way I've been doing this because a friend of mine at the beginning of this, actually in March, the, the last thing I did before this all started, my last kind of like outing that was normal <laughs> um, was I went for a, a meeting with a friend of mine because we were both interested in kind of songwriting and we had no one to work with though because like I'm a classical clarinetist. I don't know that many, you know, guitarists at my level who want to talk that kind of thing, right? So we're both kind of beginners in that space. Um, right. And, but we'd went out and we're like, every week we're going to meet and, and try and go through That's some it. stuff. But then this, this happened. So we're like, well, let's just take it online. So mm -hmm. we've actually been meeting every week except for one. Um, since this started and, and just to, even if there's nothing to go over we just like all right what did you come up with a cool chord yeah what is it yeah. i don't know you know let's figure it out and, and actually and, accountability to like one other person is easier in zoom not harder you know yeah because it used yeah. to be that we felt like you had to be in the same space this is why i think you know how when you're in school you feel like you have all that you have like practice buddies and and then you graduate and you're like oh my god yeah what's happened right and no more no weekly lessons and um but zoom has made many things possible you know just um a standing date or sometimes i geek out with a, a fellow violinist just on hey these are new things that i learned and we just share so just trying to give yourself some structure and accountability not high stakes it doesn't have to be high stakes because it's really about habitual and achievable much more so than big lofty goals you know? I think that's super important too. You know, I, I normally save listener questions till the end, but there's a couple that are coming in here that yeah, are super relevant. Definitely. And also, I've, I can't believe it, but we've already been on for almost 45 minutes, which is sorry, just surprising. It goes I'm by chatty, fast. Chatty. For, <laughs> we're, no, we're, it's a good thing. Um, so, Michael, I feel like we might have just answered your question, but he's asking, what can we do to uh, engage and encourage young players during this time? And I feel that although we kind of just answered it, young players face a specific set of challenges because socially things are so important for them. And they also, yes. they have 
more difficulty, I think, suddenly adapting to this kind of craziness. I mean, one person was saying to me, okay, have you ever taken a course online? Have you ever, um, you know, had to stay home completely? And basically everything we're going through, now have you ever had to do that at eight years old? It's like, oh my God, no. And by the way, you're sharing your yeah. dad's laptop who works from home now too, <laughs> you know? So so how can yeah, young players- so I think I think the younger the player is, I'm gonna guess, although it works for any um, age, the more specific and small of a prompt you can give them. I'm, I'm assuming this is maybe from a teacher, this question. Yeah, um, I think it teaches. But the more that. specific and light and engaging, I think the prompt should be. So, mm -hmm. okay, you know, your assignment for this week, obviously practice this stuff. And then um, check in with one other player who I guess you can assign, it depends on you know how big your studio is or that, whatever, and play for them, play for that other person, and they play for you silently in Zoom. They don't get to hear you and, and get them to tell you how convincing you were physically with your breath or your motions or whatever it is that, you know, for string players, we have an advantage in that we're very physical, like you can see everything. For clarinet, right, you might have to have sound on. Um, but just if it can be like something that is very small and very specific. Mm -hmm. So um, like sometimes I give my students um, assignments that are, you know, let's say record yourself. I think I mentioned this earlier only listen to dynamics, write mm -hmm. down three ideas, work on it. Okay. Record yourself. Listen only to pitch, write down three things you notice. You know what I mean? Bite-sized little things rather than, um, record yourself for a long time or the same for mental, mental study, let's say, um, mental practice, I guess. Um, you know, you could just be like, analyze the score. Analyzing the score means how long are the phrases? What are the chords? Um, blah, blah, blah. But that's too big. It's too generalized, right? Even for like, I think, uh, probably college age. So the more it's specific and lighthearted, um, and by lighthearted, I mean not high stakes. I don't know if that makes any sense. And high stakes, it depends on the student or the customer. I mean, there are some students who you can say, okay, form a duo, pick a performing challenge and execute it. And, you know, they might choose if they're in school playing over the intercom, if there is school playing happy birthday for somebody, the principal over the intercom, right? Somebody else might choose to play for a relative. Um, some people could play for their dog. I found that the more specific you can make your assignment or your request, the easier it's going to go. Because people kind of go, well, I don't know who to play for. I don't know who, you know, what's meaningful. Or I don't know what's, I don't know what to do. Like, you don't want to waste a lot of time with, I don't know what to do. Because when they, when you propose something, and this is what I think the journal is good for in a way, you find things by accident that are really, that really work. I have also assigned in the studio duos, which I knew would create accountability. So just, you know. You're going to learn the first part. You're going to learn the second part. You'll each learn it. Then you'll get together in Zoom and talk about it. Hey, what's your tempo? What's And then eventually they just recorded a single track. Or one would mute themselves and, and listen and play along with another player who is not muted. And then they would switch. Because you can play duos over Zoom. You just can't do it. One, one person has to be muted. So they're matching the other person.
Interesting. I so, haven't tried any of that. But does that make does that make sense? Like as long as one person counts off, like so, you and I are we're talking over each other because there's a little delay, right? Mm -hmm. But if I were to, you know, one, two, ready, go, and I'm playing, Mm -hmm. you could match me. In my own space, it would sound like it was in your own space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you would sound together, and I wouldn't know the difference because you know if you're muted. Oh, you wouldn't be bothered by it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a way to get around it, I guess. And then you switch, you know, or, or do like, uh, you know, games. I did a lot of studio games, um, in the spring. That's mostly what we did with masterclass. So like, um, name that concerto bingo. I did a lot of that kind of stuff where, you know, I started a few bars and I mean, I started a few notes and they have to try and guess the concerto with as few notes as possible. So I start with two notes, then Ooh, three notes, nice. then four notes, you know, and then the students would do the same. I would say, okay, well, you guys know some concertos. Give us two notes with the most convincing way. And they had fun in that space and it was light, but they were connecting, you know. You know, that gives me a fun idea because I, uh, I might have to steal it <laughs> because yeah, I do this thing absolutely. called Musical Jeopardy at the, uh, at the, uh, the uh, university that I, I teach at. And um, they basically have like a group of young students come in for the day and my class, which I'd proposed to them several years ago, which has become more and more popular, but basically we just play musical games for an hour and a half with like a room mm-hmm. of 30 kids. And, and they love it because they never get that chance just to let loose and have fun with their instruments. And that's kind of why I made it. But I have these various questions. And one of them is, uh, you know, you, have, you know how Jeopardy works. And, and uh, mm-hmm. surprisingly, I have to explain it to kids sometimes, though, because it's not 1995 <laughs> anymore. But, <laughs> but, but so, um, you know, I have this one column, though, name that tune and it, sometimes it, when they're easier numbers they love um, it they love it but it's a little bit too easy so it'd be actually more fun to be like name that tune but i'm only going to play the first note and then i'm going to play two notes and if you get it you'll get maybe bonus points or something with right. fewer notes but that's a and this it's is what makes practicing practice fun. yeah and it's great performance practice because if you you know if you can perform something easy that is actually practicing for performance and then you know you start to perform harder things and harder things i mean it doesn't all have to be that's again high stakes or the the ultimate this is the piece i'm learning right now so i have to perform this there yeah. there are smaller steps in between that you can do or sight reading challenges public um you know goofy stuff the younger young kids surprise me lately because um, when I crafted that Olympics thing, for example, I, I first made it way too easy. And I knew that I'd have kids ranging from grade seven, eight, and nine, but I had no idea how much they would know. Like these kids can answer almost all the questions that I they put out there. Like I'm trying wow. to think of an example right now, but you know, I'll even come up with something about, you know, which composer, um, you know, uh, was deaf or something. And they know instantly. And, and these are kids that that haven't had formal um, they're just in band. They haven't had their their normal, um, or sorry, formal, uh, you know, violin or or piano lessons outside of band class. It's just what they've absorbed through yeah. through being in school. It's it's really quite impressive. But the fact that and it's fun can... and engaging, they learn exactly, and they learn and they learn to have also a good relationship that that music is play, that not yeah. just playing music is emotionally satisfying, but that actually learning music and dealing with other musicians can be fun. And and don't forget to involve your students. I mean, I I did, I had to involve my students at VCU. It was all happening so quickly. And I was like, what should we do next week for, you know, we would have sort of game Friday and they had great ideas. Yeah. And they would propose them and they would execute. I'm like, okay, you guys are responsible for that and I'll see you there. And sometimes yeah. we just hang yeah. out and talk. 
No, I actually had the same experience. I was asking the kids one time, because I've come up with a few games for them to play. Like we do Jeopardy. We do this, I call it long tone jump. We see who can play the longest tone. And we talk about why that's, that's great. That's important. You know I mean? Because a lot of kids, they've never tried. They don't want to sit at home with their metronome trying to get to 45 beats in the metronome. They want like... Yes, it, it turns they'll it into, do it with a group. They'll do exactly. it with a group. And that's yeah. how a lot of really, really hard work, it, that's what is surprising to me too. We, mm-hmm. um, at VCU early on when I <clears throat> started sort of the journaling process and I had gotten this grant at VCU that um, was um, all kind of what music can learn from sports. We did a lot of technology stuff like motion capture, bringing the violin students in the motion capture lab. And I was completely blown away because they had so much fun. And yeah. all that was different was that they were seeing themselves as stick figures on a computer screen instead of looking in the mirror. But I was asking them fundamentally the same, very patient things about, you know, bow angle and stature. And, you know, can you make your string crossing a little bit smoother right here? But they weren't bored. They were fascinated and they were willing to engage in this actually kind of difficult small picture space because they were seeing themselves not the same old way like a friend of mine says refracted you know when you perceive yourself in a different way even though it's the same work that's Um, super interesting and i love the crossover of you know science and technology and music and i wish this happened way way more especially at the younger levels yeah this is Um, where sports is way ahead of us you know way ahead of us both in terms of technology is huge the different the different modalities of learning and also of sort of espousing the virtues of of sports and really talking about it in the right way. I think they're ahead of us too, you know, teamwork and resilience. And this is what it teaches you and perseverance. And we don't talk like that about music. You know, we talk yeah. about, oh, isn't it wonderful? And, you know, to be talented and. Oh, I'm going to beat um, you to first chair. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You know? But like, you know, yeah. 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 Well, this has been absolutely I, wonderful. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say, but, you know, I think as educators, like you and I know that, of course, like we're building all these things in students. We know that this is this is why music is correlated with positive outcomes in academics and self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera. Like we sort of know that, but I don't know that we always talk about it, you know, in in those specific ways. I do I do feel like sports is way ahead of us in that. And kind of the love of the game, right? So you you don't have to be the best badminton player and you are allowed to be on the badminton court every Wednesday yeah. night to have fun like that. That's there's value there, you know? Well, and you know, a societal appreciation too. like so many people get together to watch pro sports and love their kids to play in the, the team on the weekend. But, you know, to be in the band or something is still not quite as, as uh, revered. And I think that that's going to be really obvious come the fall when we're going to notice, unfortunately, that a lot of the activities cut are going to be arts, music, um, things that really not only enrich society, but also yeah. allow to build teamwork in other ways for kids who, I'm sorry to say, but sometimes aren't interested in sports. I wasn't interested in sports. Uh, yeah, but, you know, here. I was in marching band. I was in school band. I was in all the things you can think of. And that had a lot of the same, I think, benefits for me that being in sports would have had. But if I didn't have that, I don't know where I'd be, you know, yeah, yeah, wouldn't yeah. be here same. sitting talking to you. That's for sure. Yeah, same. So who knows maybe be a brain surgeon maybe maybe it's a bad thing (laughs) just kidding um 
But yeah, no, really great talking to you. We did get a little off track, but I do want to invite all those listening to check out your book, Practisma. And um, I definitely think this is a great journal. And I love one thing about it, just before we go, is that the 16-week idea, I think right now, like we've been saying, is something super important because it does give you that sort of time frame to work in, which is otherwise... It's a tough thing right now, as, as we were saying. So, but before we do go, I wanted to quickly ask if you had any more, um, you know, advice for players or any more comments about the book that you feel like we didn't get to touch on. And then we will do the lightning round. Uh, be kind to yourself. That, that's my big one. Like be, be charitable towards yourself in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I know the country is going through a lot, you know, on many different levels, but I think, um, for artists to be without, you know, 80% of their usual process and trying to figure out how to have meaningful, a meaningful relationship with their instrument. It, it, it will come if you don't have it right now, if you're not having a great time, it will come, but be kind to yourself and be forgiving. And, um, but do realize that I think regular practice, it does help your, it is so much of who you are. If you're listening to this, it's, you know, you're listening to it for a reason. It's, it's part of who you are and it is important. So like for me, I just try to work on the habit a little bit every day um, because it does, it's like my meditation, you know, it does, it does help me. I know, I realize full well that I haven't solved any of the world's problems after I practice, but it does <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, I, I am in that meditative space during that time when I'm doing it. Whether well, I whether I play any better or not, eh, not sure. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people too listening. Um, I like that "be kind to yourself" thing because I, I think it also gives you the freedom or the ability to to step back and realize that if this is not a productive time for you, that's also okay. It's like okay. this is a It'll stressful time. Like mm-hmm. the, the world is literally going crazy right now. So if you're not able to be your fully maximized um, self, then maybe that's right. okay. Join, join the club, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, everyone's kind of in that boat. But this might let yeah. you kind of find some joy and re-empower yourself to practice, which I, I really like. But there's also that, you know, investment saying, though, which is uh, something like um, buy when others are greedy and sell, or no, sell when others are greedy and buy when others are fearful. And basically what that means is because, you know, when the markets are down, people are all trying to sell off their stuff, but that's the best time to get in because when it goes up again, you'll be out on top. So if you can look at it that way and you can get your practice time in now, maybe in a year or two when things get back to normal, um, yeah, you can have something you, new to come can, back to. And if you can discover, if you can discover new things, right? Take So we have all this space and we have mental space too. And if yeah. you can take that as a time for discovery, um, yeah. different ways of learning, I think that's good too. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you'd like to send me a guest suggestion, have some feedback, or just want to say hi, you can contact me directly at feedback at clarinet.com. Head on over to the show notes for today's episode for a link on where you can buy your own Practisma practice journal and to learn more about Susanna, today's guest. Also, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of those who are supporting the show on Patreon, especially those who are contributing more than $10 a month. And we have quite a few of them now. we got Robert W., Jason S., Glenn K., David S., William L., Miguel D., Debbie A., Patty S., 
Josh N. and Karen D. Thank you so much for helping make the show possible. And if you'd like to get access to an ad-free extended version of the show yourself, you can do this for as little as $1 per month. Just go to clarinet.com and check out the Patreon members section to do this. You can unsubscribe anytime and you can actually keep listening on your favorite podcast player. I even show you how as soon as you sign up, I'll send you a quick video on how to add your extended editions straight to your iPod or Android device. Thank you also to our sponsors. We have Encoda. It's kind of like Netflix or Spotify, but for sheet music. You can check it out at nkoda.com. That's Encoda. And I want to thank Encoda for having supported the podcast, but this is the last episode they will be sponsoring. If you know of someone who might be interested in sponsoring the show, or maybe you have a business yourself that's relevant to clarinet players, please get in touch at feedback at clarinet.com. Also, a big thank you to Legere Reeds, and they're coming out with their new bass clarinet, Legere European Signature Reed. And I expect this is going to be a really popular read because their normal European Signature line has been quite popular. I believe actually almost all of their artists, if not all of them, are playing that read, myself included. So I'm really looking forward to that getting out there. And also, they have a new read case, kind of a portable, reusable read case that fits all of their various types of reads and this will be coming i believe with every read purchased in the fall so you can check that out and learn more at their instagram channel i'd suggest following them at at legere reads and we have bakun musical services you can save 10 percent on your next clarinet mouthpiece accessory any purchase you like from the bakun online store as a thank you for being a listener of the podcast simply use code clarinet at checkout at bakunmusical.com and if you're shopping from canada you'll be thrilled to know that there's now pricing in canadian dollars everyone else can shop at the global store and again don't forget to use the coupon clarinet for 10% off at bakunmusical.com thank you so much and I look forward to seeing you next time on the clarinet podcast the show for clarinetists